I understand that being born a white, working class, heterosexual male in a first world country is to be born into a lot of privilege. But, and don't get me wrong here, but I can't help but feel a little shortchanged when it comes to being a teenager in the early 2000s and huge music-led cultural shifts. Like, I just look at my parents, right? They had the Beatles, Bob Dylan, Black Sabbath, The Who, The Velvet Underground, The Beach Boys, Joni Mitchell, The Rolling Stones, just to name a few, pushing the envelope, challenging the status quo, and cementing themselves as creative leaders of change. And, And the kids just a few years older than me They had Metallica introducing thrash metal to so many new people, playing huge arenas and melting faces around the world. And and I feel like I was too young to fully taste the Nirvana and grunge craze at its peak. And I was a bit too old when a whole new wave of electronic music acts like Skrillex were coming along and blowing minds. The empowered pop stars such as Beyonce, Lady Gaga, Katy Perry, they were all just a little bit after my time. My teenage years were dominated by angry white dudes. Some with no more of an agenda, but just to get on stage and list all of the things that they didn't give a fuck about. Limp Bizkit took over the world for a couple of years, starting when I was 14. And alongside Blink-182, Marilyn Manson, Eminem, Slipknot, it was a pretty angry time, with anger not really directed in any particular direction. But I do remember one big cultural shift, and it's something that seemed to happen just overnight. I never got the memo, but all these new metal kids that I hung around with, they all got super deep into kill switch engages alive or just breathing. And that meant that suddenly MSN names became these vague thumbings through a thesaurus like weak and in the concept of decline or capital X, lowercase x, light transfiguration of the soul, lowercase x, capital X. T-shirts became a size smaller and black hoodies were everywhere. Fringes hung over faces and like every motherfucker at every goddamn house party I went to suddenly had Killswitch Engage playing on their Winamp playlist. I never really got into them. Like I never got on board the Killswitch train. It wasn't through a lack of trying, I I promise you. I was already heading down the Old Man Gloom, Isis, Caliban, Mogwai, Converge, Cigarros, Dillinger Escape Plan, Number 12 Looks Like You, Blood Brothers sort of track. The only album I think we could all agree on anymore was Norma Jean's Bless the Martyr and Kiss the Child. Like that was that was sort of it. But Benji, I'm aware you're a little bit older than me. So I'm interested to hear, has the same thing happened to you where suddenly overnight all of your friends went down a different musical path? Um, no, because not to sound like a blowhard, but uh, I was kind of viewed as... If you wanted to check out something new or something different, you could hit Benji up. In university especially, but I do maintain, Reese, that you get to a certain age where you you either can't keep track of the absolute wealth of music that is out there, regardless of what genre or anything like that. Or you just stop fucking caring because you know what you like. And I think I fit now into the second camp which isn't good to say publicly because i run a record label so i'm meant to be very open and everything like that but in terms of my my own personal take i think the last band i really got into was at the start of this year it was a dutch band called pip blom and then i also uh, i'm revisiting 
like snapped ankles and stuff like that. The only time I would have ever even come close to that was when I had a whole bunch of uh, housemates when I was living at university, and a couple of them were quite bohemian types. They were like a friend of ours whose name begins with P and ends in Asco. I don't know if you've ever heard of of, of that tale. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to him just before. Oh, for real? Yeah, legit. Pasco, the legend has it that uh, this guy... Apparently, he he had a very small CD collection, and it was predominantly just the entire back catalogue of Captain Beefheart. And then I, it was like one other random CD. But yeah, that that was the closest I got to a deviance, because I, although I could respect what Captain Beefheart was doing, they were fucking diehards, man. They were like could you stop playing Foo Fighters covers on your guitar? And so I just, oh, I'll play some Captain Beefheart and randomly started picking fucking strings and everything like that. Every friend that I had left me because I was an arsehole rather than what music I was listening <laughs> to. Oh, look, that guy, terrible personality, but fuck, he knows his bands. Real piece of shit. But, uh, you know, he, he knew a thing or two about the, the 90s college rock scene. Look, I don't want to go too much on about Pasco because uh, it's very, very sort of in-house, but his taste in music it's is terror. insane because it's Captain Beefheart, Die Hard, Trap Mask Replica was always on, Bill Hicks as well, but then he loves like Cottonmouth King's Twisted, Insane Clown Posse, loves him. And then his other really, well, he actually bought me tickets to Conan Moccasin, so we were going to go to that together. But do you know who he, one of his favorite acts is? No. Sophie Alice Baxter. Yeah, that's a bit of a wild one, isn't it? So you've got an, a guy in an insane clown posse shirt, just front row, Sophie Alice I think he even went and saw like two nights in a row or something. When people are like, oh, what do you like? And you're like, oh, I like everything. Fuck off you do. If you're not cranking sort of the, the methods of mayhem and then Sophie Alice fuck off with your eclectic taste. You're like the same narrow scope as everyone else. We could talk about Sophie Alice Baxter on a future podcast. Maybe uh, an April Fool's podcast. But we need to talk about this Killswitch Engage album, really, don't we? Because I think, uh, uh, from the sounds of things, when Killswitch came out, it was that cusp, like you mentioned in the intro, of the music scene kind of changing. It was gone were the baggy jeans and the oversized jumpers. Uh, I mean, I mean, I remember the tight shirts quite vividly you know i'd go into a shop one day to pick up a soulfly shirt and the next you know 2xl and then i'd go back to the shop the next day to pick up fuck, i don't know maybe a static x t-shirt or something like that in 2xl but it's like the f- i've either fucking ballooned in waterway over 24 hours or what the shit's going on but it was it was like this this kind of change in metal becoming fashionable is that a fair assessment to make it it was you didn't look like too much of a schlep even though you dressed up in your marvin the martian boxer shorts and your wallet chain it was like yeah i I want people to see the definition in my fucking arms because i'm a big fan of m shadows because avenge sevenfold i think really kind of kicked it off and then kill switch we're in that awkward moment with this album in particular where they could have taken off. And as we'll talk later on about the original lead singer and the returning lead singer, uh, Jesse, kind of felt like 
when Howard Jones took over in subsequent albums, that's when Killswitch found their groove. But I really liked the groove on this album anyway. I returned to it after all the kind of like pomp and circumstance died down. And I really rated him. And I mean, My Last Serenade, it was like one of the perfect crossover tracks I think Roadrunner jumped on because it transitioned from the heaviness of the new metal to the emotiveness of the metalcore scene that was burgeoning at the time. Yeah, so Roadrunner did chase them for a very, very, very long time. And Killswitch were like, I don't know if we want to do it. So they were really apprehensive to sign with Roadrunner. So it took six months, I think, from memory of just them being hounded by Roadrunner and they were like mulling it over and shit. And they were kind of concerned of with what bigger labels sort of do to smaller bands. I remember, I don't want to name drop here, but when I was speaking to someone from a band that we have talked about and I was like, when you were on Roadrunner, was it Nickelback that fucked you up? And he's like, no, 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 no. The label really wanted everyone to sound like Killswitch. Killswitch was the new thing. And I read somewhere that someone from Roadrunner, when they were about to advertise this album or to announce the signing, they held a funeral for new metal where they buried a red New York Yankees starter cap. That, no, this isn't, this is, I don't think this is a lie, but I can't find much information on it. I asked people on Reddit, no dice. I actually reached out to Jesse Leach from Killswitch. Of course, no reply. I reached out to this guy, Matt. I can't remember his name right now. Uh, he writes a new metal book. Like I also tried to buy his book, no dice as well. So people just weren't getting back to me. So I couldn't find any further evidence, but it seemed like the label were like, Killswitch is where it's at. We want Killswitch to be the thing. And that's what they were really pushing. I mean, someone went as far as to trying to get in contact with Roadrunner's A&R guy at the time from what I see on Reddit. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. someone on Reddit tried to help us and be like, hey, I've, I've hit up that guy from Roadrunner. No, no reply. You know, I understand. You know, people, people be busy. I, I get it. But come on. Otherwise, I'm just going to run with these fucking absolute rumors like the gospel. But personally, man, I couldn't then. And even now, I cannot get a grip on this band. Like, if you just wrote down what they're about, who they are as people, what they sound like, I'd be like, yes, ticks all the boxes for me. Their early live shows, they sound raw and amazing. Like, I, I like I definitely have more respect for them after doing after listening to this. And there was it was a very mood-based album for me, this one, re-listening to it. Because it was like, some days I'm like, this sucks. And other days I'm like, no, it's kind of good. It was very mood dependent. But there kind of aren't, and this sounds weird to say, but there aren't enough edges to get caught on. It sounds a little bit too smooth, but their live shows aren't really like that. And I understand it's necessary because you've got a major label debut and it ushers in that new era of heavy music. So it has to sound good to get those new ears. But it's just not something I could get my claws into. Do you know what I mean? I, I could not connect with the lyrics at all. I have to agree with the kind of polished aspect, but that's a weird one because we're both Glassjaw fans, and you'd think that Glassjaw was a lot more polished than Killswitch Engage, but it felt that Glassjaw, you know, both Worship and Tribute and, you know, the album that we've spoken about before, Everything You Ever Want to Know About Silence, despite the fact that it had a really nice kind of polish and sheen to it, it still felt that they were just like a little kind of couple of nails sticking out of the foundation that you could like cut your arm on and like, ah, oh, you fucking bitch, you know, because it was a misogynistic album <laughs> at the time. But yeah, with, with Killswitch, even later Killswitch, you know, it was like, 
this is really heavy, you know, this is like intense jazz corey kind of bits, but it just seems kind of like contain. Now, this is going to be completely ridiculous. This is probably the stupidest thing I'm ever going to say on this podcast, but it felt like someone took a very heavy band and then put them in like an esky that was like, or, or a chili bin, as our American fans call it. Or a cooler. Or a cooler, you know. And they insulated it, so you'd open it up and look inside, and it's like, oh man, this is really heavy, but why isn't it bleeding off into things, you know? Why isn't it bleeding into the other things that I like to listen to? It, it seemed very isolated and insular, this album, for a time when that kind of thing was taken off. And then going back to the whole new Metal Funeral, fuck, I hate gimmicks like that. It's like when Ross Robinson said that Glassjaw was going to be the end of new Metal. And then he ended up working with Slipknot again. But what you said about like them being in a cooler or an esky or a chili bin, I, I do agree because I've, I've really been thinking about this. What is heaviness? And so I'm like, is this album heavy? And in parts, yes. But it actually sounds quite thin because when you have two guitars and they're playing the same stuff and it's not like, it, it's sort of like fast picking and shredding, it actually sounds a lot thinner because there's a lot of palm muting. So when they're both doing the same thing, it sounds weak. And when you've got a drummer who, again, refuses to smash the ride cymbal to fill out that sound a little bit, and they're smashing the crash, you'll hear it, man. I've got, I've got some grabs here. Of course you have. Drum grabs. No, no, it's not just – I'm actually looking more at the guitar in this one because I'm like, what? I really sat with this for a whole week and just been like, why isn't this connecting? And once we move past the music, I'll get to the lyrics as well because I really had to analyse what wasn't connecting with me personally. So this is – self-revolution just have a listen to the weak guitars and the weak crash it just doesn't yeah. sound heavy and when i say heavy it's like yes it's heavy metal but i'm actually talking about having a bit of weight to it yeah, yes that is heavy and i understand that kick drum sounds really really big those cymbals when it goes into that sort of near breakdown doesn't sound as good, but the guitars are doing the exact same thing. So it's all very, very, very similar. So if we're going to go with the bad analogies, man, of uh, eskies and bands in the cooler and stuff, let's go with one that I think about the Olympics, where if you've got people running the 800 meters, yeah. you need to have someone from the general public in there to actually be like, oh, that's how fast they're going. Compared to this guy, that's how fast they're going. Because if you're just riff, 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 riff into riff, and they're both guitars are sort of doing the same thing, you're like, well, the Where's the point of difference here? Like, how heavy is it? Like, the, a really good example of that is just barely breathing. It has elements of heaviness. It's got a double kick, the vocals. But there's no real chords behind it, so it, it's not heavy for me. And I've got to say, this is a very obviously music subjective. We always say it, but, like, for me, it's just not heavy in the, the same way that I was talking about heaviness being, like, Mount Erie, like that yeah. a guy with an acoustic guitar navigating his feelings of his wife passing away. That's heaviness, but this I just... Musically, I don't think it's it's fast. It's sort of aggressive, but I don't know if it's heavy. So if you're just going from riff to riff, the layperson doesn't really notice that. But 
On the flip side, there is a song called The Element of One on this album. And it seems like they're listening to each other here. Like they're connecting and they're bouncing off each other. There's a heavy weight to it that's closer to the literal meaning of heavy rather than just being heavy metal. Now, I understand people are going to be like, that's not heavy, he's singing, that's the chorus, it's clean. But what I'm saying is like the actual sound to me, it sounds fuller. Maybe maybe that's a better term. It's fuller. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Am I being articulate enough? Yeah, no, no, you are, you are. It seems that there's a real concentration, Adam and the, the other guitarists in the history of Killswitch have had where, yeah, it's fast and there is a real precision to it. Perhaps, Reese, that we are used to sometimes there being a little bit of sloppiness under the disguise of something being angular, that because it's so precise and so dead on, like, bang, okay, bang, bang, these riffs are all fitting in here and here and here, that, like orchestral music sometimes, it's like, orchestral music there's a big sound but it seems quite again insulated and perhaps the fact that the matter is with this album being very very technically prominent they're incredible musicians do not get me wrong and it is it is heavy but perhaps the precision insulates it from being like a real aggressive antagonistic album say like the sloppiness you sometimes get with like a Slipknot or a Korn album, uh, and it's kind of lacking in this one. Yeah, I think of it like rock climbing in that if, if the rock is too smooth and too polished, you can't get your fingers in there to climb up. But if you've got a little bit of a grit, and if that's a fucking dude with a helmet covered in nails just pushing a sampler button to add just some sort of texture to it, then I can kind of grab onto that and keep like – climbing up that mountain if you will yeah i think i think that you're bang on there is sorry to interrupt i think uh, you probably nailed it and articulated it how we were both struggling is there doesn't seem to be that kind of grittiness that you sometimes anticipate from a metal band it, it just all seems rather smooth for lack of a better term, everything just seems on point. We probably sound like a bunch of fuckheads complaining about something being very smooth and well done and stuff like that. People are probably going to listen to this podcast and go, oh, those guys, you can't make them fucking happy about anything. It's either too sloppy or too polished. But I think smooth, smooth is the word I'd use because there's just a general kind of smoothness over that album. And I think the second album, like, uh, with uh, Rose of Sharon, with Howard involved, perhaps Howard's vocals added that gruffness. I, I love Jesse, and I'm glad that Jesse rejoined the band. I thought that, I mean, for me, Killswitch, I started getting into Killswitch when Jesse was in the band, and then I kind of glossed over it when Howard Jones took over the vocals but it seemed that the howard jones era of kill switch engage was the one that garnered a lot more attention like being in wwe commercials and and all of that razzmatazz i mean they that era of kill switch they did cm punk's entrance theme for the wwe 
before he went back to using Living Colors Cult of Personality. So I just think that with, with Jesse's involvement, it's his singing was incredible, but maybe the singing was a bit too smooth as well. With Howard Jones, there's still in his singing voice that kind of graininess. You can hear it in the back of the throat. That's kind of the hard thing about when you're talking about music week to week, especially because last week's album, Murder Noms, was fucking super polished. But there, there, I mean, there was a little bit of grit on there, but the lyrics you're able to connect with if you tune into them, I think, for the most part. Like, we got some listener mail. Dear listener Connor wrote in and said, Hey, you inspired me to go back and listen to this album. And I listened to the first six tracks on my commute home, and fucking hell, it's a fantastic album. Just firing in all cylinders. Judith goes outrageously hard, like it's not super heavy, but by the standards of heavy music, but it is deeply, palpably fucking angry and scornful. It makes me feel a bit sorry for Jesus. I'd feel sorry for Jesus as well. I mean, you know, his dad basically plonked him on earth to be martyred. I was speaking to long-time listener, good friends of the show, and of us in particular, uh, Tom Morrison. And he was he mentioned yesterday... Yeah, I really like that podcast, mate. It was really good. And yeah, I I preferred the the album after Murder Noms, to be honest with you. But the there is a a certain sandpaper like quality on Murder Noms, though. Do you not think? Because that's what you get with Maynard James Keenan when he uh when he sings and he has that. I'm almost going to call it like a gargle in the back of his throat, that kind of grittiness to it. Which is weird, because you listen to, like, this Killswitch album, and he fucking screams Jesse. He absolutely fucking yells it, but his singing vocals are much more maybe pop-aligned, dare I say it, than perhaps other vocalists in the metal scene. Some people can just scream. They can scream any word. So there's this song from the latest album, I think, Atonement, and it's called Unleashed. And it's really funny because he just screams, let's go. And it's a brutal scream, but it's like, you know, let's go. And then it goes into singing. It's like, you can just, you can summon that. I've got it here. You can just summon that at any moment, can you, Jesse? That is incredible. But I can't, and this is me not connecting with it. So I'm really aware of that. This is me not being able to connect with it. Let's go. So he's just able to say, let's go, which is always funny. It's always so funny when a band's like, are you ready? Go. That's <laughs> so good. Core made it popular. Fucking Dez had a crack at it with Loco, you know, but uh, it just never quite lands. But can I just talk about the lyrics really quickly? You don't have to talk about them really quickly, man. We've got like another half hour left to go. I've got heaps of shit to get through, man. Oh my god, right. Okay, go for it. So these lyrics, I just find they're overly optimistic. Like, they're, they're faux poignant words and they just don't land, yeah? So it feels like, for me, those couples that are always on Facebook, like, posting intensely romantic messages online, and you know they're a fucking hot mess in real life, you know? Yeah. These, these devout religious people who reference living in light and loving and and soul and... You can't, you can't see that in how they, in anything they do. You can't just 
see them basking in God's light. They're still just lining up at Aldi like the rest of us, you know. And in saying that, it's kind of weird because on the other hand, it's like, why do I like Relationship of Command or the Blood Brothers so much? Because those lyrics make fucking no sense. So I've written down some of the lyrics and I've compared them to bands like Poison the Well, Norma Jean, that sort of stuff, Converge, because... So they're, they're peers, basically. Well, when I was listening to this, I kept just going, fuck, I'd rather be listening to Poison the Well. So I'd stop and I'd listen to Poison the Well and, and have a great morning. And then I was like, all right, got to fucking do Kill Switch. So I'd listen to the album, like, God, I wish I could listen to Norma Jean. Oh, I can. So I did. And I'm like, wish I could listen to Jane Doe by Converge. So it kept just pulling me back to like what I was listening to at the same time as all my other friends were like, Kill Switch rules. And I was like, yeah, but have you checked out Norma Jean? And they're like, yeah, we like it kind of. But, you know, I'm like, what about the Blood Brothers? They're like, not really, bro. Just explain this to me. You know, self-revolution. The lyrics are, building a revolution to heal nations. It starts within you in this search for I and I, the truth, is always deep inside. So, okay, let's just say the truth is deep inside with me. Okay. How am I going to use it to build a revolution to heal nations? How, is it, how does it start within me? How, what am I meant to do with this information, you know? It feels like a sermon, and I understand they are Christian, but what are you empowering me to do? I don't understand. I don't understand the, the assignment here. I think you've, you're taking away perhaps the fact that, because Jesse wasn't in a great place around that time, was he not? Because he did the album and then he disappeared to work on himself to be, you know, the the, the Grady Avenel effect, you know, he he record Grady Avenel did Carpe Diem and then just went, you know what, guys, there's I, I just want to finish shit. And I think the same thing happened with with Jesse, which was a bold move, Cotton. We'll see if it pays off because that was around the time that they were blowing up. Do you ever stop and wonder when people go on about how not sh you know well let's just say it how shit lyrics can be sometimes but then music is an art form and art and art is subjective which is a cop-out answer but maybe we couldn't relate to it because that was something quite introspective maybe that album and some of the lyrics on the album for jesse in particular were personal affirmations for him to get through it which would make which would make sense if you can't gravitate to I saw that I saw that flicking your hair back rolling your eyes like fucking hell Benji's being an empath <laughs> again but yeah maybe maybe the reason you can't grab onto those lyrics are the same reason why perhaps you couldn't grab onto someone's autobiography and relate to it because Try as they might to do, someone's going to relate to the lyrical content on that album. We know because they built up a huge fucking fan base from it. But perhaps for you, it was like, I can't relate to any of these problems, you know? I can't. I can't relate to these lyrics because it's, you know, I, have, I haven't had these experiences. So if you if you walk away from it like that, Reese, revisit the album, look at it objectively, like, all right, let's take a listen to what's going on in this guy's life. Perhaps then with a different framed narrative, it, it might make a little bit more sense. I did it. I went through all the lyrics on darklyrics.net or something like that, and there's not enough of him in there. So it's just these sort of vagaries of like, okay, to the sons of man, yeah? 
You son of man, I'm here as a witness. You son of man, can't you see what burns inside me? The fire will consume as the flames purify. With the peace that passes understanding, this is my outcry. From dust to dust, we will return. This flesh is temporary. This The soul is eternal. I can't even get like a finger in there to sort of like push apart and like go, oh, that's what the words mean. It just feels like emptiness. It feels like I'm in church and it doesn't relate to like, you know, when you're reading the old gospel, it's like, oh, I can kind of see the lesson there, but it doesn't really relate to me in modern day or my day-to-day problems. That's kind of what I'm getting. But if you go to even like um, Converge, Heaven in Her Arms, he's sort of talking about the same sort of stuff in that, you know, a heavy topic, death. Death was just a simple glance across a dim lit room and those eyes did it. Those three words did it. Those three words killed him and I surrendered to it all. So at least he's in there. There's some sort of a little bit of a narrative going on. It's vague, but I can read into it a little bit more. Rather than being told the truth is is within me, what truth is within me? I don't understand what, I don't get it. Like this is me being a big stupid dum-dum, I think, you know. Even Norma Jean's like pretty soon, I don't know what, but. Time can kill the greatest of men. Even the strongest find themselves on the floor. It doesn't have to be this way. Time keeps moving on and on. Fragile time cannot be wasted again. Fragile time can't be laid to rest. There's a message in there. It's preachy, but it's like, hey, carpe diem, seize the motherfucking day. Death comes for us all. Time stops for no man. Great. Building revolution to heal nations. It starts within you. Cool. What do I got to do, man? I'm on board. All right. I mean, okay, in this search for I and I, the truth is always deep inside. What, what am I meant to do with that, man? You know, it's, it's too cryptic and not in the cryptic way that like at the driving or Blood Brothers sort of speak. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I just can't get my, my head in there, you know? I, I did go through the lyrics and I was like, what is he trying to say to me? And then I think that Christian background comes, comes back again because a lot of those bands in that sort of scene were religious. Well, I, I didn't realise that. Yeah, so Under Oath, Wolves at the Gate, August Burns Red, Silent Planet, Fit Free King, just to name a few. I knew Under Oath were because they did a parachute festival. What's parachute? Parachute's a big uh, Christian festival held in New Zealand. They had, uh, like, imagine falling in reverse with Ronnie Radkin, but they're all devout Christians instead. But Family Force 5. If you ever get a chance to Google Family Force 5, definitely take a look at them. So, Under Oath did Parachute, and I was like, wait, Under Oath are a metalcore band, what are they doing? Like, you know, there's only one band, there's only ever one Christian band that crossed over successfully into the mainstream, and this is the, ha, the mount I'm gonna die on. There's only one band, Reese, and that is DC Talk with the song Jesus Freak. It's fucking brilliant. It is absolutely, absolutely fucking brilliant. But okay, I think it's fair to say that this is one of those unique metal albums where polarizing, not in a bad way, not in a kind of like you either love it or you hate it, in a kind of, I can appreciate other people saying it's heavy, but perhaps with you and me concerned, Reese, we've kind of heard heavier. If we're going to use crazy analogies throughout this entire episode, let's do another one right now, okay? <laughs> so it's like cruise control. It's like someone coming up to you and going like, "Oh, I watched this really gory horror movie last night. Oh, what was it called? Yeah, it's called uh, Saw." And you're like, "Yeah, I can appreciate Saw is quite gory, uh, but you know that." You've watched other movies like uh, fucking Cannibal Holocaust or uh, that absolute 
turgid piece of shit a Serbian film. So you know that, yeah, okay, at the time and place, the Saw movies were very violent and very gory. But you know that out there, there's there's a lot more kind of visceral works going on. The and I of think the mask. you've articulated it really well, and it's a difficult one because it's 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 been a very hard album to not step on it and go, it's not that heavy because it is. Perhaps what we're looking for, Reese, is it's not quite as visceral as say Converge, Lamb of God, you know, bands like that. But there's an Australian... Oh, what were they called now? Parkway Drive? Oh, yeah, it's Parkway Drive. It is Parkway Drive, you know. So if you were a young wee pup once again and you had the Killswitch album or you had Parkway Drive, what would you gravitate towards as being the more visceral of the two? Because I talk about this a lot with Paul from the Violence and Sunshine podcast where he he's a bit younger than me as well, you know, so I'm his Benji. So I like the the albums with a bit more grit. And because he's younger, by the time he was listening to albums, the production quality was a lot better. Yeah. You know? But if you listen to metal bands now, they all sound really similar. And that's not an old man rant. It's just because the production quality, it's so good that you can get a great sound on your MacBook Pro through Superior Drummer, Easy Drummer 2, whatever it might be. It's so processed. So it's really hard to differentiate from the bands now, like those heavy bands like Ice Nine Kills or caskets or some, something like that, you know. I, I just can't get a grip on it. So I would go Kill Switch and Gage because in that, uh, to compare and contrast there, they are a bit rawer and that's where my my ears tend to go to because I'm a fucking idiot. I think that's <laughs> what it is. And uh, this is a band where I'm like, I can totally see why people love it. If I had to do it like a take on this album, it's a, they weren't quite ready. And I think they knew they weren't quite ready. And that's why they were sort of like, oh, do we sign with this label? Do we sign with them or not? And Jesse wasn't ready for the stage. He wasn't ready with his vocal cords. He wasn't ready to be in a touring band and to do all those things. And he had to go away. And I love that. Go away, find himself, find the truth within himself, if you will, and then come back and be like, all right, I'm good to go. Like I think I've worked on myself. I've got – I'm responsible enough. And you hear this a lot with Australian rules footballers maybe in other leagues as well. They're like, it took me about four years to realize what it actually meant to be a professional athlete. And you can't just fuck around and eat whatever you want. You actually have to do, you do have to put in the work and shit. I thought I'd already made it. So maybe there's a part of that, but Jesse, he's got a podcast now. seems like a great dude. He's got a YouTube channel. He does like ambient music as well, but I'd like to play a game with you, Benji, to test my theory on his lyrics. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. So Benji, I was thinking about the lyrics and I'm like, these medical lyrics, they're just nothing. They're just empty and they're vapid. So I've got a lyric for you and I want you to tell me, is it a medical band? Did I make it up? Or is it an excerpt from The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz? Okay, this is a self-help book, a, a Toltec wisdom book. Okay, so it's about four agreements you can make with yourself. So you, have, you get to pick, did I make it up? Is it from the Four Agreements or is it from a real med- metalcore band? This is going to be very difficult because a lot of metalcore bands, now that you've mentioned, ha- you know, maybe previously had an alliance with religion, a lot of this shit's going to be kind of like self-belief, self-affirmations. So I'm not looking forward to this one. But as always, man, hit the tick. Forever, your eyes will hold the memory. 
Uh, that's got to be a metal core. Yeah. That was as I lay dying forever. Well done. You skeptic, you. You believe in unbelief. That's from that book. No, that's August oh. Burns Red. Rationale. Slowly wow, down. wow. There is no reason to suffer with awareness you can rebel. That's you. Nope, that's the four agreements. <laughs> Which it was you. Hold on a minute, though. Because, like, you probably use that in day-to-day -day life. So can I get a half point? Yeah, you got one and a half points. All there right, you cool, go. cool. The flat line has come and gone, but won't take me away. That's you. No. <laughs> oh, man. That's a medical band asking Alexandria uh, until the end, featuring Howard Jones. Fits of rage won't dig you up from this self-imposed tomb. I reckon you throw me there. Is that from the book? That's me. Oh. How could that fits of rage when dig you up from the side? I didn't realise that you're a metalcore vocalist now, man. Fits of rage won't dig you up. Fuck, I've never... Whoa, 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 stop everything. Stop the clock. Stop the clock. Never in my life have I ever heard you do a death metal growl. And it was impressive. Oh, where... You've been holding out for me for ages, you, you little bastard. Oh, I don't know what you do in the shower, but yeah. I'm just, I just practice with the four agreements here in the shower. I wash my balls. I've heard of that. Yeah, try it. It's not in the four agreements. Three more. <laughs> it's the secret fifth one. <laughs> Humanity, cover me with the ashes of remembrance. Wash my balls. Uh, that is um, a metalcore lyric, right? Yeah. Yeah, that is. That's uh, Kill Switch Engage, Life to Lifeless. Two more. These ruins cut scars across our perfect past. That's a metalcore lyric, because I'm sure I've heard it before. That's me, bro! <laughs> hey, I, know I, I knew I heard it before. Can we hear it in, can we hear it in the metalcore style again? Uh, no, no, we're not going to do that. Okay. Um, I've done my vocal cords. <laughs> Last one. Yeah. All right. We'll go all or nothing here on this. Okay. You're either going to get zero points or you're going to get a hundred percent. You ready? Hold on. I'm pretty sure I got two and a half points. Yeah. But out of a lot of questions. So you're telling me all of that, that I did previously is moot. Well, okay. You got two and a bit out of eight. So you're going to get three and a oh, bit out yeah, of eight. Christ, no, there's no point then is there? I better do this. All right. All or nothing. I'm going all in all of the chips anti up. We have the habit of dreaming with no basis in reality. It's the book. He's done it. Well done, Benji. Yeah. Well done. <laughs> I try to think how would you how would you fit that verse? I'm not proud of that victory by any means. It's a pyrrhic victory. But uh Take I'll it. take it anyway. I'll take it. I will definitely take it. Moving away from from the album, does that metalcore scene really... It felt like a wildfire. It just really kind of took off because, like you mentioned in the intro, that transition from 
the goth kids suddenly turned into the emo kids or you know what what was derogatory referred to as emo i'll still call it metalcore because that's a whole different conversation for another yeah. time but yeah it, it was just so weird how it just blew up do you think it's theories this statement that metalcore was targeting those white kids that didn't feel that they were cool or macho enough for new metal no, I think it's the cool. They're they're cooler and they're more macho, and they've. You know what? It probably is. It's probably the kids who would have gotten to new metal if their home lives weren't as good. Because I'm gonna guess a lot of them went to church every Sunday with their parents in nice clothes. So it's probably metalcore is new metal for kids with a structured home life full of routine. Yeah, I'm thinking, no offense to my mum, but like after my dad died, that structure got thrown out of the window. I mean, I was into metal before, but yeah. No, I can appreciate that. I think that's fair to say. Is metalcore then to music what being a chartered accountant is to accountancy? I don't know what an accountant is. You're talking to a guy who spends quite a lot Every week. It just seems like, I'm just, uh, okay, okay, right. It just, it just seems that metalcore, the metalcore fashion sense and aesthetic, although it was derived from the metal scene, you know, because of like, like black and band t-shirts, it seemed a lot more kind of targeted towards the fashionable types rather than the music types. Which someone will probably turn around and go, that's a very generalized statement to make. But I got two words for you. Hot Topic. Hot Topic blew up because of the medical scene. Because of the belts that had like the studs on them. And you know, that whole kind of, uh, what was the name now? Ah, there was a cartoon character. Competition time if anyone gets back. Emily the Strange. Emily the Strange. That's the one. That kind of vibe. You, you're actually really right because, you know, when I was listening to new metal and stuff, well, we didn't have much money anyway, but there was no way to sort of flex that you really knew what was going on other than wearing the band shirt, you know? It's like, oh, you got a seven-dust shirt, bro. It's like, you know it, my man, and I got these white long sleeves under it. I'm cool. I got 26 red jeans. They're $40. But that metalcore scene began, and all of a sudden, those guys were wearing $200 jeans, and I know that for a fact. And I know one of those guys loved it so much, went and designed his own fashion, that's his own fashion store, still does that. It's like, oh, you're into metalcore, cool, cool shirt. But yeah, you've even got those fucking skinny ass jeans and boots with the fur. You're sick, man. Yeah, so uh, we've we've cracked it tonight. We have, that was really fun exploration because I'm like, I don't know why I'm not digging this. I don't know what this is. And maybe it's just because I can't connect with it because I didn't have much structure and routine in my life really as growing up. Growing up. It sounds like you didn't either. We didn't go to church. We're going to hell and we're taking corn and, you know, down the sun with us. What you're saying is the reason why we couldn't get into this album is effectively because um, we weren't pedicured and manicured and coiffured enough. And we couldn't afford to buy shit at Hot Topic. Now, speaking of buying shit, there's no secret. You and I, uh, we know this podcast is soon to be award winning. We know that. But there is a little bit of tension about how much money that's sort of coming out of the podcast week to week, yeah, for the sponsorship. Yeah. Yeah. You don't seem to understand how business works. 
I seem to be sort of ahead of the yeah, curve. No, you're completely right. I do not know how business works. But I've got access to a really smart guy. So I gave him a call and I just floated to him. I didn't really tell him what I was doing. I, I don't even know if he knew I was recording it. But I was just like, here's what I've been doing with the podcast. What do you think? You can hear his reaction and how much he loves it. Hey, man. Hey, just want to confirm, you got like ducks of your high school, yeah? Indeed, I did. You also did very, very well at university. Oh, you could say that. I did okay. I'm just saying you're the smartest person that I have you know, who will take my calls, basically, which probably means it's an oxymoron, I think, at this stage. That is concerning, but yeah, okay, we can go with that. <laughs> so I don't know if you know much about running a podcast or running a business, but we've been getting sponsors on board, yeah? Mm-hmm, okay, yep, that makes sense. In an act of goodwill, I've been paying these sponsors like around $35,000 a week, you know, just to have them on board. What do you think of that business plan? <laughs> 35000 a week? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds, sounds slightly excessive, but uh, I'm not in the podcast industry, so I don't really know. So it could be good, you're saying? <laughs> I don't have I don't have the evidence before me, but it sounds a big number. <laughs> yeah, well, I, you know, I just think you've got to spend money to make money. you got to spend money. Yeah, that's always been your motto. Yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, I can see that. We're about 48 episodes in, so I am, yeah, really bleeding a lot here. Like, yeah, I'm basically living in a barrel. I just want, you know, my, my co-host is really giving me a hard time saying that I'm spending too much. I'm draining the, the podcast account. I just wanted to seek counsel here and just be like, hey, the smartest person I know said it could be potentially a good idea. Well, it's all relative, isn't it? It's how much you bring in. Oh, yeah. Sweet fuck all at this point. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> what could go wrong? <laughs> well, thank you very much, man. I appreciate it. Cool, man. Good luck with the thirty-five grand a week. Does your wife know about that too? No, no, no. Please don't bring it up with her. That'd be great. <laughs> no worries, mate. It, all our conversations are confidential. All right, thanks, man. So you kind of hear he's like, yeah, it sounds good. It's all relative. It sounds good, but I I hear you and I see your concern. So this week I haven't paid $35,000 for a sponsor. I haven't paid any money. We don't actually have a sponsor as such. Okay. But there is a way for the fans to give back. G'day everyone. It's Reese here from the soon-to-be award-winning podcast Butchio Death Trip. If you're a hardcore Butchio fan, why don't you take a break from smearing feces on the walls of public toilets and have a look at what we've got to offer you. Look, there is no doubt that we pour our heart and soul into this podcast. But did you know we also pour thousands upon thousands of dollars a week into it? $35,000 to be exact. Podcasting is a brutal industry and to get a leg up, you need high quality sponsors. And to ensure that we get the very best sponsor for you, the dear listener, we wire out large sums of money to get them on board. You know, that's how business works. But truth be told, it's starting to sting a little. That's why we have launched the Baccio Death Trip Patreon. <laughs> what the fuck was that? That's right. You baked bean posting chumps for just $35,000 a month. You can get access to the Baccio Death Trip community where you will get to listen to episodes a few days early. And that's not all. <laughs> I'll send you photos of my cat 
That's right. You can see photos of him turning his back to me. There's photos of him sitting on the very edge of the couch. And maybe even a sneaky video of him knocking my wife's AirPods into the bin. All for just the low, low price of $35,000 a month. Which is a total bargain when you really think about it. But of course there's more. There's also an Ask Me Anything section because Patreon suggested it and I added it to our profile. Not sure if we're going to do it though, but come on in, fucking get into the app, make an account, give us your fucking goddamn money, please. Please give us your money. Uh, Isn't it time to give back a little? Written and spoken by the voice for common sense and giving back to podcasters who gave us so much but asked for so little in return. Benji, you can see here, I've made the Patreon. Yeah, no, it's there, and I, I, I shudder to fucking think what would happen if someone accidentally clicked on it. All it's going to take is someone to go, oh, 35, it's really interesting that Reese has decided to, like, use three decimal places rather than the normal two, but, yeah, he's, God help that person. I remember once, before we finished the show, there was a band in New Zealand called Milkshake Cowboys, Michael McClelland. And he put up his album, and it was for sale for, I think, 100,000 New Zealand dollars. And I think someone <laughs> ac- I think someone accidentally clicked onto it, and thankfully they didn't have 100,000 in their bank account, so it wouldn't go through. But, man, imagine if you had a fucking overdraft limit, and you accidentally clicked something that was like 1,000 pounds as a joke, and it's like, well, I can't get that money back now because legitimately speaking unless i've got a kind soul on the other side that's willing to give me a refund like i've entered into this transaction so it's clever it's a clever scheme reese it's definitely a clever scheme i'm green grass on heartbeat <laughs> oh my I'm god i'm Claude green grass a fucking green grass <laughs> reference man that's how it's that's how you fucking end it man with a green grass reference. no no, it's not the end because I've also prepared something else, Benji, on our 48th episode. We know we're a soon-to-be award-winning podcast, but we've got to have a competition, yeah? Because okay. that's how you get more listeners. Yeah, So apparently. I do have – well, yeah, other podcasts do it. So I do actually have a legitimate competition. I think it'll run what, for, for four weeks or something. I'll figure it out. I don't Mom's know if anyone's going to believe you, Reese, because the amount of time that we've just goofed around – now we're actually kind of like going through the looking glass, aren't we? Does this sound like I'm serious? We've got a competition, yeah. Got a gift for one of you, oh yeah. We've got a competition, yeah. So listen up to what you gotta do, oh yeah. Listen up, everybody. Here's what you gotta do. Remember, I don't know if you can actually like cast your mind back to this. I talked about buying the American History X signed script for a girlfriend and then paying like $200 for it. And then my friend was like, you know, they're just, that's a fake one. I was like, fuck. So I panicked and bought another one because that had an, a certificate of authenticity. And he's like, you know, that's just faked on Microsoft Word. And I was like, oh God, what have I done? I spent $400. Well, I gave her one. And when I was back at my mum's house recently for Christmas, I found the other one. Oh my so, god! Yeah, legitimately, you can see the the signature. I can see yeah. it. I can see that. What's that? Who is it meant to be signed by? Uh, Edward Norton and I actually don't know who the other person is. The original director disowned the film, and Alan Smythe did it. 
Oh, well, yeah. Uh, look, I don't know who signed it. I can't remember. <laughs> but I Look, here's the competition. Here's what I think. Just send us any evidence that you have told someone about the podcast. So it could be Spotify have like a star review now. You can do that. Take a screenshot, you know, send it into our email, butchyourdeathtrip at gmail.com. DM us on Instagram, Twitter, however you want to get in touch with us, do it. You could just film yourself going to tell your mom or someone be like, there's a podcast called Butcho Death Trip. That's it. Send us the audio recording. I will listen to it. I don't know how I'll pick the winner. Fucking randomly, probably. Maybe it's funniest. Maybe it's best. Whatever you want. You have a chance to win the American History X signed script officially fake. And <laughs> I'll post it anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world, it will come to you just before maybe March, you know, the, the start of March or something. Some evidence that you've done something to help us, I'll take it. Any sort of caveats to that, Benji? None that I can think of. Yeah. What are you, are you eating something? Oh, I was having a strepsil. All this talking drives my throat up. Because, you know, when I get involved in a high quality podcast and I need to just give myself a little bit of a lift uh, over the finish line. I tuck into strepsils. To actually end the episode, I'm, I'm going to blow some smoke up your ass. I'm, I'm not stoked about this. Do I have to bend over? No, but you'll want to after hearing this. Do you want me to put a strepsil up there so it's more, it's more enjoyable for you or not? Well, some of our listeners I know have COVID currently, so I'm really hoping them a speedy recovery. And some of our listeners have recently got over COVID. Yeah, absolutely, by the way. Braden recently reached out to us and said, I'm hoping to hear an ad about eyebrow rings sometime soon. I'm up to the cold chamber episode, learning lots and wait for it. And Benji is so nice to listen to very eloquent. And Reese, you're there too. <laughs> Fucking hell. I'm pretty sure I was just being used as a punchline against you there. I don't know why there's like, I'm flattered. I mean, this is this isn't a, a, a bit now on the podcast. I'm flattered because it seems like there is a bit of a fan club. So, thank you for giving me a confidence boost, bro. It doesn't end there. Ez from Space Goat has said that their drummer Adam has really enjoyed the ads and has referenced wallet chains and frosted tips. So that's a fucking another one for Team Benji, isn't it? Not oh, referencing God, my amazing bro. ads. This is fucking bullshit. Everyone's Team Benji. No, I'm Team Reese. Well, I'm Team Benji, so even I don't. <laughs> I got one person that's Team Reese, and it's you. Remember that I'll pay for you to get my name tattooed on your body as a basketball singlet. And I will pay to send this fake script anywhere in the world if you just do something for us. I don't care what it is. And I will pay for another box of strepsils. Did I mention, Reese, that strepsils should be kept out of sight and reach for children? Right, so if you Next really... Next week, Benji. Oh, are you going to do it, or do you want me to do it? No, you, no. you do it. You definitely no, you, no, you do it. Team Benji does it. No, you do it. No, 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 no. Team Benji, no, don't. You're going to give me an ego. Well, if you've enjoyed this conversation about Killswitch Engage, and you uh, are a glutton for more Roadrunner Records punishment, tune into next week's episode, when Roadrunner decide to basically squash all of their beefs with one double album, Roadrunner United. It's basically a recording of like a Roadrunner's swingers party, isn't it? It's like, all right, everyone throw your Ibanez's in the bowl and let's do this. 